for every married person in the room, uh, I know that you have had conversations like the following one. Right? You come in, you walk in the door, and you say, hey, how's your day? And they say, fine. What's the matter? Nothing. Well, it doesn't seem like nothing. Like you even care. Well, I, yeah, I kind of do care. That's kind of the point why I'm asking. Well, thanks for asking, because that's like the first time in three years that you've even asked. I swear all you do is just hang out with your friends. You never even talk to me anymore. I never talk to you anymore. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, well, since we're keeping score, what do you do to contribute to this family? Oh, so you don't think I contribute, right? Communication and conflict, right? We've all been in it. You start with something and... 75 seconds later, you've escalated into something entirely different, right? So today, we're going to talk about this important subject of communication and conflict as we continue in our happily even after a marriage series. A marriage expert, Dennis Rainey, says it this way. I love this. He says, nothing is as easy as talking. Nothing is as difficult as communicating. In your marriage, you're going to face conflict. You'll face a lot of conflict. You'll face some conflict small, some conflict big, but you cannot resolve conflict without good communication. It's impossible. You know, we, we, we spent the first two weeks of this series talking a lot about serving the other person, about looking in the mirror, but that doesn't mean that you never communicate how you feel, right? We're not saying that you now need to spend the rest of your life saying, you know what, honey, whatever you want, you just do what you need to do, I'm fine. No, yes, you serve the other person, you put their needs first, but you do still need to be able to communicate your feelings to the other person. Otherwise, you can't really be in a real relationship. And so this morning, what I want to do is a bit different, but I want to give you 10 biblical principles for healthy communication that I see in the Bible. Now, this is targeted, obviously, at marriages, but for those of you in the room that aren't married, I would say 80 to 90% of this is still applicable to your life because it's just good biblical communication that you can apply to really any relationship that you have. All right, here's the first principle. You ready? Let's do this. Okay, number one, we need to learn it and work on it. So, just like anything in life, whether you're learning a new language, a new skill, you're at a new job, if you want to improve on something that is communication, you need to learn about it. You need to work on it. Uh, the Bible says it this way, a Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Every single one of us, we need to work on developing the tongue of the wise and letting go the words of the reckless. Now, some of you married someone who is almost the complete opposite of your personality. You have some people like that in this room? Like, you're an extrovert who just tends to spew every single thought that crosses your brain, right? But you married an introvert who only wants to say something once they've chewed on it for 17 days first, right? You see, these types of personalities, you come together, it's love, and then when it comes to communication, sometimes the arguments are ugly. 
because your communication styles and personalities are so different. And so you need to work on how do you, as two unique people who've come together, how do the two of you communicate best? And sometimes that just takes work. You get help. Some of you, it's, it's to go to counseling, to learn how to communicate. You read books on it. Uh, let me recommend a Christian book to you that has an amazing few chapters on communication. It's really good. Uh, it's uh, Danny Silk's Keep Your Love On. You take a picture of that if you want or, or write it down. If you want to just get deeper into communication, he's got a great couple chapters on it. Uh, get, get out to a, a marriage getaway, a family life today. You can Google this. They have a, a great a weekend getaway, a weekend to remember. Uh, listen to a marriage podcast or communication podcast. It's this weird thing that, like, I would say almost all of us in marriage can admit that we have communication difficulties, and yet I know hardly of anyone that's put work in to actually get better at communication. That's just sort of an odd thing. But anything that's worth fighting for is worth working on. I think the challenge for a lot of us is most of us have never actually been trained on how do we correctly and appropriately translate to another person our emotions, our feelings, and our thoughts. And a lot of us grew up in families where it just wasn't modeled well. And so we just don't know how to do it. And that's why good communication starts with all of us saying, I just need to work on it. That's okay. I just need to work on it so I can get better at it. Okay, second principle of biblical healthy communication. Quality time cultivates good communication. Uh, This one you can actually pull from how we are to communicate with God. In the Gospels, Jesus is constantly telling the Pharisees that it's not just about the words that they say, but it's about cultivating a heart towards God. When we communicate with God, we're encouraged to communicate firstly this way. This is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he's saying you can't just talk to God and make sure you just say the Lord's Prayer or get out some words. You need good quality time with God. But a lot of us, when we pray, we just kind of like pray on the run. We don't have good quality time. And in a similar way, married couples struggle, especially once you get a few years into marriage, you're 10 years in, you're 15 years in, They struggle to establish quality time together. And thus, they struggle to have quality communication. Like, sure, you might be in the same room as they are, but you watching Netflix on TV and them staring at their phone is not, I hate to break it to you, is not quality time. Now, it depends on uh, which study you read. There's a bunch of them out there. But the average married couple in 2019 now spends only 20 to 30 minutes a week. That's three to four minutes a day engaged in meaningful conversation. And there might be conversation, but it's like, hey, what do you want for dinner? Hey, what do you want to watch? Hey, can you change the diaper this time? But when it comes to meaningful conversation... The average married couple, three to four minutes a day. What's meaningful? What does that mean, meaningful conversation? That's honestly, it's as simple as, hey, how was your day? Will you just tell me about your day? Uh, What what have you been thinking lately? How's how's life going? You're just connecting in any sort of way beyond, hey, what's your schedule look like tomorrow? There was a, a longitudinal study that was done with 400 couples, 
And they studied these 400 couples for 30 years, which is amazing. And they found that as they sort of started segmenting them between the, the miserable couples, the couples that didn't work, and the happy couples, what they found with the happy couples is literally almost all of them tended to spend at least 10 minutes a day in meaningful conversation. Many of them spent much longer, like an hour or more, with the TV off, with this over on the counter, right? Not like buzzing you in distraction, in meaningful conversation. And again, that doesn't have to be, all right, let's, honey, let's hold hands and commence our daily sharing of our deepest secret of the day. Right? It, no, it's just, hey, can you, tell me what happened today. I just, I want to know because I care about you. It's meaningful conversation. Can you get back in the habit of this in your marriage? By the way, that's what you did when you dated, right? And did it work? Yeah, it did. And here's why. What having meaningful daily conversation does is it cultivates. It grows your ability to have effective communication. You're continually learning the skill of how to respond to each other's emotions and feelings in what is a relatively safe environment. Hey, how would your day go? Another thing that it does is uh, it can effectively diffuse stored-up anger. I mean, this is kind of like a dam that regularly opens its gates to lower the pressure. Sometimes I think couples get into these super intense arguments with each other simply because they've just pent up their feelings on something for so long, and yet that's not really the general scriptural advice on how to connect with each other. Ephesians 4 says this, Do not let the sun go down. That's every day while you are still angry. This is good advice. Connect every day. But if you've gotten away, and there's probably, you know, in a, a group this size, there's probably many of you in this room that have gotten away of, from daily meaningful conversation, and your marriage has kind of turned into the two of you just burying yourself in technology every night, or it's turned into the two of you just, the only thing you talk about is kind of like, okay, what's the schedule for the next day? What will happen when a larger conflict, conflict comes along, which it will, is your communication muscles will have atrophied. And you'll be out of practice. And you won't have the skills to do it well with each other anymore. And so make time every single day to shut all the devices off and just have meaningful conversation with each other. Okay, third principle. God gave you how many ears? Two? How many mouths? One. Okay. Now, when we think about communication, too many of us just think about talking. As, since I've started this message, all the extroverts in the room have gone, ooh, 10 tips on how to talk better, right? And their introvert spouses are just rolling their eyes all the way to the back of their heads, right? If you really want to improve in communication, it starts with working harder on listening. One of the best passages on communication in the scriptures is James 1.19. James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A good biblical communication is to try and listen first. It's not just, I mean, a lot of us have fallen into these habits. Again, it's the devices again. It's a challenge to communication. I'll just be straight up honest with you. Your spouse is talking to you and you're just going, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Oh, oh, yep, tomorrow. Yep, you're super mad at me right now. What was that? Right? <laughs> it's such a distraction. Practice letting the other person say their thing first. Proverbs 18 says this. To answer before listening, that is falling in shame. And one of the things I think all of us can get better at in listening is to work on understanding what they're saying. One of the phrases that I use a lot in the office, but probably could use more often in my marriage, is when I'm in a, a tough meeting, I'll say to someone, what I hear you saying is this. Is that right? Now, I know people mock that phrase, like, what I hear you saying. But let me tell you, as someone who actually employs it a lot, I would tell you that 40% of the time that I say that phrase, someone will come back to me and say, uh, no, that's actually not quite what I was saying. What I was saying was... If we're going to listen, we also need to understand before we respond. Now, this listening piece of advice is really important for all of you verbal processors in the room. But for the rest of you, perhaps this next one is for you. Number four, your spouse is not a mind reader. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not sure how this happens, but I think too often people fall into this false thinking that if you really loved me, then you would just figure out. You would just know what I need. That's what love is. No, they don't know. Even if it's obvious, they don't know. And honestly, most of the time, it's not obvious because neither of you are mind readers. You cannot try and convince someone to care about your needs without ever actually communicating to them what your needs are. Now, for some of you, this is a real beginner step to just go home this week and practice the art of saying, I'm going to stop just waiting for them to get it, and I'm going to start just trying to share what's in my heart. In fact, as we go through these 10 principles today, I want every single person in this room to grab, to take at least one of these and just say to the Lord, say to your spouse, I'm going to start working on this one. This is the one I need to own and start working on. By the way, I would say this too, the mind reader piece that actually works both ways because it can be equally frustrating when your spouse does think that they can read your mind. You know what I'm saying? Like they interrupt you when you're talking and they say, oh, uh, honey, you don't even need to say it <laughs> because I know that you're not going to do this because you're afraid. That's why you're not going to do it. And you're thinking, A, no, I'm not. And B, you're not in my mind. Stop, right? Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. But see, that's the way of the fool, not of the godly person. Number five, believers, that's you if you're a believer in Jesus, must be slow to speak. This is actually a major current of wisdom that runs all throughout the Bible, Old Testament to New. Look at that James verse the second time in the, in the bolded piece. What does it say? Be slow to speak. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it, right? Especially right in that moment. Now, one of the things that I've uh, made note of about wise people when I observe them is wise people don't talk a lot. And often, they're quite slow to say something before they even begin speaking. Proverbs 10, there's so much wisdom on communication in Proverbs. It says this, 
Sin is not ended by multiplying words. But the prudent hold their tongue. Now, I really could have used this advice about 10, 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I just can look back at so many arguments in my marriage, in my friendships, in my life that are almost certainly my fault because I hadn't learned the art of being slow to speak. There are some of you in this room where you're a perfectionist or you have incredibly high standards. Some of you feel like you need to communicate every emotion that you've ever felt in your entire life. But listen, part of good communication in marriage is choosing to be slow to speak. It's choosing your battles. For some of you, you need to pray this prayer. This is your memory verse for this week, Psalm 141. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And don't pray this over your spouse. Some of you are like, I'm praying that for them, right? <laughs> we have this thing in America where we just say, well, I just speak my mind. Like, as if that's like, that's your right. Oh, oh, that's not godly. It may be American, but it's not godly. Wise and godly people have doors on their mouths, and sometimes they wisely keep them shut. We can't spew everything that our sinful heart processes to our brain. Number six, how, when, and where you communicate matters. There are going to be times where you've been truly hurt by the other person, and you feel upset, and it is not enough to just serve them and look in the mirror like we've been talking about the first two weeks. You need to communicate your feelings with them. But how you say it, not just the words you pick, how you say it matters. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay, so let's take a scenario, and let me give you two ways to say it. Okay, you could say to someone, hey, I cannot believe that you are out late working again tonight. It's like you basically don't even care about me or our family. It's like all you care about is your career. Okay, you can say that, right? Okay, but let's say it's the same scenario. The person's going out. They're working late again. But B, you say, hey, honey, I feel, and psychologists, will, they, they, they'll tell you to start with I feel, and they say that for a reason because it works. Honey, I, I, feel, I feel hurt. I, it's, it's, it's hard on me. I feel a bit disappointed that you're going out to work again tonight. I'm just, could, could we spend some time at, at a different time just talking about this? Okay, which one of those are you going to have better results with? How you say it matters. If you need to approach your spouse on something really difficult, one of the things that I recommend is even just writing it out first. We actually train all of our leaders in church on this method because sometimes they have to engage in conflict in difficult situations. We train them to write or type everything out first, memorize it as best as they can, and then deliver it. So you're not speaking off of your emotions, but you're just speaking off of good content. When and where also really matters. Right, this is connected to this whole biblical concept of being slow to speak. One of the things that I've liked to encourage couples in for years is make sure that you're having couch conversations and not kitchen conversations. I'll explain that in a second. Now, this comes out of Proverbs 25, where it says, Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. Now, a kitchen conversation 
is where you're hanging out in the kitchen with your spouse, right? Now, really, it could be anywhere in your house, but it's like your life is going on, you're standing up, you're kind of on the move, right? And an argument starts on the fly, which, by the way, is where most of our arguments start. And you're there in the kitchen, and they notice something, and they look at you, and they say, hey, how come, how come Johnny's unfinished homework is still on, on, on the table? I, th- I thought you said you were going to help him finish it. Right? And you respond, I don't remember saying that I was going to do that. I thought the homework thing was your deal. And then they respond back to you, are you kidding me? You, you, you seriously don't remember saying that. Oh, it's, like you're, it's like you're never even res- responsible anymore. I can't, I can't, it's like I feel like I can't count on you for anything. In fact, over the last 10 years, I can't remember what, the, <laughs> okay, right? It's like how, we were just, you just pointed out the, and how did we get in the kitchen to just, okay, time out, right? Time out. See, the principle is this. You'll never fix anything in a kitchen conversation, in an argument that starts on the fly. Now, if you do have a big issue to talk about, okay, let's say the person really is irresponsible. That's when you have a couch conversation. You start a couch conversation like this. You notice something happened. Maybe you notice the homework or something, and you're slow to speak. The door on your mouth, right? And you don't mention it right then and there. Instead, you say to your spouse, uh, hey, tonight after the kids are in bed, can we just sit on the couch for a few minutes? And I just want to talk about a couple things I've just been praying about and thinking about lately. Now, it's still going to be a hard conversation, right? You're still going to have to employ all these other methods of communication, but your chances of it being an effective conversation just tripled because it's a couch conversation and not a kitchen conversation on the fly. How, when, and where really matter in communication. Okay, number seven. Anger is a communication killer. Look at that James verse a third time. What's the last part of it? Slow to become angry. Let me say this. If you are an angry person, and you're the type of person that you hit walls when you're mad, you engage in screaming matches, anger in my experience, is not an easy thing for people to fix. It's, honestly, it's worth seeking professional help over. But God can do this in your life. I've seen it happen with people. But both of you have to know, you have to agree to, in principle, that anger is a communication killer. Now, I get it. Sometimes you just feel things passionately, and you want the other person to know it, and you don't know what to do with all that feeling you have inside of you. But you have to recognize, but the anger will never help you get your point across better, ever. It will never enhance your argument. It'll always make it worse because it just creates fear. It creates division. It's like putting a wall in between your relationship. So if you get, maybe it's a kitchen conversation that just happened, maybe it's a couch conversation, you get in this place where things are really heating up and you are mad, right? And maybe it's even starting to turn to screaming, learn the skill of walking away to calm down. Now, when you have a, uh, I don't know if you have kids or not, but when you have a baby at the hospital, right, you're kind of expecting that, like, the nurse is going to walk in and they're going to give you this uh, three-volume work of how to raise a child, right? But instead, they give you this small half-page insert with four tips on parenting for the rest of your life, right? (laughs) Oh, thank you. This, wow, thank you so much. One of the tips that's on every single one of those sheets, no matter what hospital you're in, is when you, when you have a baby, 
And you get to that point, you're maybe home alone with a baby, and the baby is driving you insane. Well, they look nice and cute and cuddly up here, right? But they're not, right? And the, the baby is driving you insane, and you're thinking about, I don't know, going just berserko, right? The tip will say is every hospital will tell you, just go in a different room for 10 minutes until you can calm down. Like, yep, the baby's going to keep crying, but this is a better alternative. Well, it's the exact same thing in marriage. If you're getting to that point where one of you is getting so angry that you are about to just engage in just a verbal tirade and assault, that's where you just have to say, honey, I am so unbelievably angry right now that I'm just, I'm leaving the room. Now, I'm coming back. That's really important. Right? You don't want to abandon. I'm coming back, but I just need to calm down. That is okay. That is a health. Yeah, they're going to keep crying, but this is a better scenario. And you leave. You go to a basement, to a different room in your house, right? You maybe step out, not today, but a different day, you step outside, right? And this is where you calm down. You, you need to yell. You yell, with, you yell with God, right? He can handle I'll do this. Sometimes I'll get really angry. I'll just go down in the basement, and I'll just kind of get down on my knees and say, you, you listen right now, right? And I'm just letting it out until I can calm down. And then have an effective conversation again because anger will never, N-E-V-E-R, it will never enhance your communication. It is a communication killer. Number eight, set boundaries for healthy communication. I think a lot of people don't have this or use this particular skill. Because, I think we can all recognize right now when we're rational and no one's mad, right? Because it's only a respectful conversation will be the type of conversation that's actually productive for you, the two of you need to learn how to stop communicating as soon as the conversation is not respectful. The Bible tells, this is a biblical principle, again, Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, so this is what this looks like in practicality, right? As soon as someone starts engaging in a heated kitchen conversation, or maybe the, the conversation tends to, they start using overly uh, guilty words, you know what I'm talking about? They're just guilting you like crazy. Or maybe it turns into screaming or yelling. That's when one of you needs to say, ever so calmly and not with guilt, which is really difficult, you need to say, hey, um, I kind of feel like we've both Right, throw yourself in there too. I, I feel like we've both passed this boundary of healthy communication. And so, like whatever we say from here on out, because when you're, when you're mad, you just say a bunch of things you don't mean. The emotions just come. Whatever we say from here on out just isn't going to be productive for us. It isn't going to be helpful. We've passed the boundary, so let's, let's just pick this up tomorrow. Or let's just pick this up uh, later tonight. Talk about this together. Make this a principle of your marriage that when we pass the boundary that we're just going to stop. And you're going to find that your communication gets so much better. Your relationship is going to get better because you never let yourselves pass into that crazy phase where you're all just finding every dagger out of nowhere that you can throw at them because you're so mad. Just don't allow yourself to get there. Now, you've got to be careful to not play this all the time, right? Your spouse just lovingly says something to you like, honey, I just feel like we should just sit down and talk because there's something I've been noticing. And they're feeling like intense because they know the critique's coming. They can't go like, hey, you passed the, you stop yelling at me. 
fight back. No, honey, actually, I was whispering. That's not yelling, right? So you, you can't use it all the time. But when it is passed, you got to use it. All right, number nine. Humility is the foundation of good communication. Okay, one of the problems that I'm worried about right now is that a whole lot of you in this room are overly excited to go home and start communicating with your spouse all the ways they need to change. Okay, number one, go back and listen to uh, number, message number one and two in the series, right? We look in the mirror first. But secondly, okay, think about how change would actually have to work. Put yourself in their shoes. Okay, let's say you come with good, godly, right advice. What would they need to actually change? They would need humility. Right? They would need to say, all right, yep, you're right. I need that, and I see how you need that, and I see how I need to give that back to you. Well, the same is true for you. You need humility if change is actually going to happen. A lot of us, we don't have humility, though. We have defensiveness when we communicate. And defensiveness is just pride, isn't it? Right? Someone says to you, I just, I just need to communicate to you what I've been feeling uh, over the last month. I, I just feel like I would like you to spend some more quality time with me. And then the other person responds like, oh, so you're saying it's my fault, right? So you're saying the fact that we don't go on date, it's, it's just entirely my fault? What is that? It's defensiveness. And what is defensiveness? It's pride. If you want your marriage to grow, you want your communication to grow, you have to be humble enough, you have to be godly enough to admit that you're not perfect. And there's going to be some needs that your spouse has that you're not meeting, and unless you're humble enough to hear those things, communication won't work because all you'll get is defensiveness. All right, number 10. Major conflict requires major work. So what do you do? Because there's, there's some of you in this room, you're like, all right, this is great. I bet this is great for everybody else. But my spouse doesn't want to get on board with any of this. One through ten. Right? They, they don't really work, want to work on communication. Honestly, I'm not even sure if they want to work on our marriage. For one, you never give up. Two, you still speak the truth to them. And the scripture calls us to speak the truth in a certain way. This is Ephesians 4.15. Instead, Ephesians 4 is a great chapter on communications, by the way. Read that this week. Instead, speaking the truth in love we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Right? If you speak in love but without the truth, it won't work. You speak in truth but without love, it won't work. Christians are called to speak the truth grounded in love. And so if you're in a really difficult situation in your marriage, right, you apply everything that we've said. Right? You, you listen well. You don't assume that you know their mind, you're slow to speak, you pick the right time to talk about it, you're slow to get angry. But let's say you do all that, and you're still not heard. And they don't want to change. Maybe they're deep in addiction. Maybe their hearts have grown cold towards the Lord. Maybe they don't even want to save your marriage. Right, you start by recognizing Major conflict, there are no silver bullets to major conflict. There's not one thing I'm going to say in this series. There's not one podcast they could listen to. There's no silver bullet. Major conflict requires major work. 
If you are in a major conflict right now and you feel like your marriage is on the rocks, get, I'm, just, I'm gonna say this boldly to you, get to counseling. Right? Let go of the stigma on that. Everybody needs to get to it at least once or twice in their life. If you're in a major conflict, get to counseling. No ifs, ands, or buts. If the other person won't go with you, then you just go by yourself and you start with that. If you're not sure, if you're like, I don't even know where to start with counseling, what do I, if you're not sure where to start, send us an email. I talk to your house leader. We can resource you in that and point you in the right direction. If you're in a major conflict, you need not just general advice. That's kind of what, what this is. You need specific advice for your unique situation. You need specific advice from those people around you, like your house group friends, like your house leader, who are the spiritual elders of our church. By the way, if you're not in a house group, we need house groups for times like this. Have godly people speaking into our lives and supporting us. If it's a major issue, you need help from an expert. More than anything, you need a strategy of prayer to ask God to soften their heart, to work through your heart. A strategy of prayer to pray every day, to have people around you praying. Many times, that's the only way that we see some of these issues resolved. Marriage isn't easy, right? It's good. There is a happily even after, right? You can be happy even after the wedding. God can do this, but it's going to take work. It's going to take work the rest of your life because you, you both continue to change, right? But God can do this. I mean, just have faith in Christ. God can do this. If you work on it, you ask God to move through you, the results are just, they're so good. They're so worthwhile. I just believe God can work in your marriage even starting this week. Let me pray. Lord, I, I pray for every person in this room, whether they're married or not, that you... Help them live out these principles and just begin applying your word. And I pray, God, that they would see the fruit of applying your word. Amen. Good morning. My name